coming up in this episode. It was before 6 a.m. on Sunday, February 14th, 2016, at Casablanca Airport in Morocco. Hundreds of people waited in a security screening line. I saw a group, a small group, I'd say probably four or five people who were cutting into the line, just like moving up to the front of the line. And there were policemen standing around just watching him do this, not saying anything, not stopping anybody, not, you know, asking for an explanation. But a short time later, something happened in broad daylight to put it all into perspective and at the same time, send a chilling message. As it happened, uh, some of these guys who had cut in line were in the men's room at the same time that we were. I saw that. And also in that men's room was an airport police officer who was approached and handed something which he accepted, something that could have a devastating impact on airport security around the world. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Got a very graphic situation San here. Bernardino. Upwards of 14 people that are dead. We are now investigating these horrific acts as an act of terrorism. Paris. An attack on all of humanity. The Islamic State. I'm back, Obama. They I'm want back. you to imagine them in the shadows as something greater than they are. Hostile nation states. They can't inflict mortal damage to the United States. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. This is Target USA. America in the crosshairs. Whether it's anarchist, cyber criminals, nation states, or terrorist, America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. I'm J.J. Green, previously on Target USA. Your email has been hacked, and you're the head of a major U.S. government agency. It sends a very clear message to the rest of us. That if something like this can happen to a director of a major intelligence community organization, it can happen to you. And it can happen to you at home or at work. No matter what we do, our adversaries, hackers, criminal elements have capabilities that go beyond what we think they do. Malicious activity on computers is their M.O. But here on Target USA, we bring you a special edition featuring a different kind of malicious activity. The activity took place in, of all places, an airport. And it took us by surprise. And it proved that there is a gritty reality to the stories we hear about the link between criminal activity and terrorism. It all started about 3 a.m., February 14, 2016, in Marrakesh, Morocco. We were, that is, I and you, JJ, were at a conference together in Marrakesh, Marrakesh Security Forum, and... We both had the same flight out back from Marrakesh to D.C. via Casablanca and then Paris uh, early in the morning, as you say, of Valentine's Day, February 14th. And um, Remember the time? The time of the flight out of Marrakesh, I think it was departing at 5 in the morning. So we had to leave the hotel at 3.30, I remember that getting on the van from the hotel uh, where the conference was. And then we 
the van drove us to the airport and we checked in. It was a uh, Royal Air Maroc flight to Casablanca from Casablanca to Paris. That's Dr. David Pollock, security expert and the Kaufman Fellow at the Washington Institute, focusing on regional politics and, obviously, security matters. The problems started almost immediately at Marrakesh Minara Airport, even though we were flying at the same time, on the same flights, to the same destination, we were separated and inexplicably sent to different areas of the airport. So we get to the airport, checked in, that was fine, and then we went together to the passport line, and at the passport line, you know, immigration, and then there was nobody there for a while. But eventually uh, somebody showed up and some other people tried to get out the gate and they were told, no, you, you don't belong here, you have to go back to the passport uh, line at the other gate. And then it was our turn and we went up to the agent at the door who looked at my passport and my boarding pass and said, fine, you're, you go, go out the door and get on the bus. And, but then when it was your turn, this person looked at your papers and said, no, you can't. You have to go back to the passport line. And we tried to explain <laughs> it, right, to reason. We tried it in French, we tried it in Arabic, and eventually they called over some other people, some police officers, one in uniform, one in plain clothes. And they didn't really explain it, but they said, no, uh, you can't, you, JJ, you can't go out here. Your friend, me, David, can. You have to go back, JJ, to the passport line all over again. That decision created a mild state of panic and injected that dreaded sense of being in a foreign country, stranded, detained, scrutinized, and not knowing why. During the next 40 minutes, after being taken to an area completely separate from other passengers, a brand new screening process began. The passport immigration inspection process was repeated. After that, there was another tense period of questioning as time ticked away before the flight left. Meanwhile, Pollock, the traveling companion, uneasily moved on to the shuttle, told to wait there, but given no explanation for what happened. Concerned, the shuttle would leave, the plane would board, and take off. I, I had no choice, you know, they told me. I said, what about my friend? And they said, no, never mind. You have to get on the bus, and you have to come with us. So I got on the bus, and the bus was waiting and waiting, and there were some other people on it too, and I, I didn't know if we were going to go right to the plane or go to some other terminal, or I had no idea really. But it was getting very close to takeoff time, and the driver turned on the engine and, and was about to start the bus, and you still weren't there. So I yelled out in French, I said, wait, wait. After waiting for minutes that seemed like an hour, finally the release order was given, and the race was on. I actually saw you through the windows of the building that the bus was standing next to. I, I actually saw you running down several flights of stairs to get, and get to the bus. So I knew that you were there, and you were almost 
there, you know, at the bus, and I was confident that I could insist that the driver had to wait for you, and he did. At 4.50 in the morning, running more than a mile and a half through the airport, none of what had happened made sense. But within the next 90 minutes, the chilling truth would start to emerge. So we got to Casablanca Airport, and it's only a short flight from Marrakesh. Actually, in this airplane, it was only about half an hour of flying time. It was, but it was still kind of early in the morning, maybe about like six o'clock or something like that. And and so the airport wasn't terribly, terribly crowded, but there was still quite a long line of people who had to go through the transit lounge and um, get their passports uh, and their carry-on bags inspected and all that, you know, to go through security all over again to uh, get on the next flight. And actually, first, we had to go to the Air France counter and get our boarding passes because we, we hadn't been given the boarding passes for the Casablanca to Paris part of the flight. So we did that, and as we were doing that, the line got longer and longer, to, and we had to go right all the way back to the end of the line all over again to get our passports and our carry-on bags screened. And as we're doing that, and I would say they were probably, I'm going to guess here, like three or 400 people yeah. uh, Easy. milling around in that transit lounge and trying to line up to get through the next stage of the security. It was during this part of the screening process at Casablanca Airport that a disturbing event began to unfold. I saw a group, a small group, I'd say probably four or five people who looked like, from their appearance, their dress and so on, it looked like they might have been Moroccans or other uh, people from some other nearby country who were cutting into the line. And they were just, you know, everybody else was waiting pretty patiently and kind of pretty orderly. Even though it was going to be a long wait, we could see that. And, you know, everybody was kind of nervous about making their connection. But this small group of guys was just, like, moving up to the front of the line and around everybody else and right up to the front where they were doing the screening, checking the passports, the boarding passes, and the carry-on stuff and putting it through metal detector and x-ray and that whole thing. And they were just, like, cutting right into the line. And there were policemen standing around. Right there. And just watching them do this. And, you know, kind of not saying anything, not stopping anybody, not, you know, asking for an explanation. And, and at first I thought, well, maybe these guys had a very tight connection to make. And that's why they were being allowed to cut in front. But actually, nobody said anything about that. Nobody announced any, no. you know, flight connections or airlines or if you're on this flight, you know, you can come up front because, you know, you need to get through in a hurry or nothing like that at all. No, no word was spoken. They just edged up or that I could see or hear. They edged up to the front and the policeman just kind of stood by and let them do that. Yeah. And it was very curious. And I didn't know exactly what to make of it. 
And I thought maybe they were just some very rude dudes who were, you know, thought they were better than anybody else or something. And uh, that's the way it was. Yeah. But afterwards, something else happened that put this in a very different light. After passing through the mine, which took about an hour, and moving upstairs to the departures lounge at Casablanca Airport, something happened that no airline passenger ever wants to see. This was after we had patiently waited our turn, got through security, had our passports and boarding passes checked, took the escalator up to the next terminal, and we're looking around for the gate, and we weren't sure where it was, and meanwhile, we had to go to the men's room. And uh, so both of us went into the men's room, and as it happened, that some of these guys who had cut in line were in the men's room at the same time that we were. I saw that. And that was, I didn't think much of it. I mean, you know, there they were, but okay. Then something happened that I didn't see, but that you saw, and you told me about it right there on the spot, uh, which I thought was really disturbing. As it happened, Several of the people that cut into the screening line were also in the men's room. There was also a policeman facing the sink, combing his hair. One of the line jumpers walked up behind him and without a word, pulled out what appeared to be a wad of Moroccan money, dirham, and placed it on the sink in front of the policeman. Without speaking a word or making eye contact, the policeman picked up the money, stuffed it in his pocket, and casually exited the restroom. Following them out of the restroom, we observed that they went in different directions and never did engage each other. I was not an eyewitness to that, but I, I was there, I saw the guys in the bathroom, right. and I believe what you told me happened right then and there. I think it was, it stands to reason, uh, I can't think of any other explanation except that that was a bribe, prearranged, and it was a bribe to the cops in order to be able to cut in line and get through the screening process mm-hmm. uh, faster and maybe without much scrutiny, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. just hurry it up and get me through. And I don't really know what else was going on there, whether these guys were, um, again, whether they were just trying to get they're faster, or whether they were smugglers, or drug dealers, or worse. There's no way to know what the money was for, but what was clear was only 12 days had passed since a terrorist was blown out of an airplane that left Mogadishu Airport in Somalia by a bomb that he brought aboard a Dallow Airlines flight concealed in a computer with the help of airport employees. And in Morocco... The open nature of that exchange between the line jumper and the policeman suggested bribes are commonplace. And perhaps the situation that unfolded in Marrakesh was a setup as a prelude to a bribe that didn't happen. Six days later, an Islamic State terror cell was broken up, relatively close to Casablanca. Ten people were arrested, chemicals, bomb-making materials, and automatic weapons were seized. Their stated goal, to get to Europe, 
to attack the West. And coming up in our next program, the aviation threats posed by terrorists and bribes are keeping the director of the Transportation Security Administration awake at night. Terror groups are still intent on attacking aviation. You can never uh, let your guard down. That we have to maintain uh, what I still consider to be the best aviation security system in the world and that we have to uh, never take our eye off of that. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. We all have a lot on our plates. Work, kids, relationships. And sometimes it can be hard to just catch a breath. When life is go, 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 it matters where you stay. Hilton's family of brands is team members dedicated to making you feel truly cared for so you can mentally check out before you even check in. Take the break you deserve and book your next stay on Hilton.com. Hilton for the stay.